0: we're trying to learn and we're trying to figure out what we can do from an internal process perspective, I think that's the right way to outsource, is that you outsource the work, you don't outsource the responsibility, and you're really trying to say, okay, like this this is inherently a temporary solution, right? If, if this was going to be a permanent solution, we would hire a full-time person, right? And that should be the conversation. And so if you're looking at this and, okay, Let's what are we actually building? What are we doing? Those are the most fruitful conversations, and I think the biggest bang for the buck for, for the brands.
1: Hello, hello. Welcome back to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now. I'm your host, Jackie Koch, and today we are talking all about supply chain and operations and how to build out scalable functions that also include people and processes and all of the things that go into it. We are joined today by a special guest. His name is Aaron Alpeter. He's the founder of Izba and the founder of Capable. He's a graduate of Unilever's prestigious supply chain management program, where he spent five years gaining direct experience working in planning, manufacturing, international logistics, and continuous improvement, He's personally built or rebuilt a dozen startups and has held C-level leadership positions at companies like Hubble Contacts, Sustain Natural, The Flex Company, and Mirror, and has advised companies as diverse as The Farmer's Dog, Grove Collaborative, Bonza, Etitude, Sunsoil, and Kind. Whoa, that is an awesome list. Aaron lives in North Carolina with his his wife and two soon to be three kids, and enjoys being outside. Today, we talk all about how to build out a supply chain and operations function um, that actually helps you scale, how to hire the right people, how to set up leadership and development plans, and he's just a wealth of knowledge. Um, So, so excited to have him on the show and cannot wait for you to learn from him. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining. Oh shit, I'm the boss now. I can't wait to dive into this topic and have listeners learn from you because you've been in the trenches of building an area of business of, of a lot of listeners business that I think provides a lot of stress and anxiety. And I think you're going to be able to provide listeners with such an amazing um, insider look into building out supply chains and, and all of that. So thanks for coming on the show.
0: No, my pleasure. thanks for having me.
1: Well, first, let's kick kick off by sharing. Can you just share a little bit about your background, how you became an entrepreneur? I love hearing that that story of entrepreneurs because it's oftentimes not very linear. So can you share a little bit about your background and how you ended up becoming an entrepreneur?
0: Yeah, I would say it's uh, it, it's been unintentional, but it's happened a few times now um I, i'm I'm lucky enough to have loved supply chain since before I knew what it was. Uh, that's why I started at school. I graduated from uh, from, from university and, and got a job with Unilever in a supply chain trainee program. I was there for about five years doing everything from working in a factory to international trade to planning and business waste and things like that. And uh, honestly, thought I was going to be there for, I don't know, 25, 30 years. Like It was just it was a great place and uh, knew that I wanted to get into e-commerce. And at the time, Unilever was good at a lot of things. Uh, but they were more of a full pallets to Walmart sort of company, not a uh, you know single D to C unit going to a, to a consumer. Uh, so I started looking around and got connected with the founders of Hubble Contacts. Uh, this was before they had launched; they had just raised a seed round. And uh, short story long, ended up working with them and built out the entire operation ran customer service, quality, and regulatory, in addition to supply chain for about a year and then uh, left and uh, supported the the farmer's dog for about six months after they had raised their Series A. Um, their supply chain had kind of broken a little bit and wasn't able to support their existing subscriber base, so I was able to get them up and running uh, with COO at another company and then just started to see this playing out over and over again where I, I recognized that startups desperately needed operational help, but they didn't need it full-time in most cases, and they didn't, didn't need the same type of expertise. Um, as time went So, for example, they may need someone who's really good at manufacturing for a certain period of their, of their growth. And they need someone who's really good at fulfillment or really good at planning or really good at building a team. Uh, and that, that expertise was just kind of, you, you need to be able to swap in, swap out. And so I started my first business, uh, ISBA, um, technically in 2016, but went full time with it in 2018. And it was effectively this uh, fractional COO type of idea. Uh, there had there had been fractional CFO companies for a while, really nothing in the COO space, and I, uh, you know, just went to to solving problems and and seeing where we could uh, where we could be beneficial. Initially, it was just me, but have uh, have built that into a, a team that's remote and and just really impressive from lots of different industries.
1: Amazing. I feel like we have such similar kind of stories in terms of like working with startups and deciding they need strategic help. But they don't need it full time, and it's like the help that they do need, oftentimes, is is not just administrative, like task oriented work. It's real strategic thinking. But they don't need it full time. And um, I love that you found that niche in the operations side. Having worked in house at a lot of brands with supply chain, it's a it's a beast, and you definitely need help. Um, and oftentimes, you'll hire a full time person, and then expect them to just do more and more and more and more, and they're like drowning because they've never done it before and they don't know what to do, uh, which I'm sure you've seen.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, the funny thing about supply chain is if it's going well, nobody pats you on the back, right? It's Ugh, like ever. that thing never. that was supposed to have happened, happened, right? The shipment uh-huh. got to when it was supposed to get, you got there when it was supposed to, or, you know, you didn't stock out of something like that's all stuff that is, is just the status quo should be there. But it's really difficult to to pull off in a consistent manner, especially when you're dealing with with vertical growth or or decline. Uh, sometimes getting smaller is more difficult than getting bigger.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, what have you seen with Smaller companies, entrepreneurs who who do have a physical product, obviously that needs supply chain. What are some of the common mistakes that you see that they make when they're building out this function or this team for the first time?
0: Yeah, that's a it's a great question. Uh, I start by saying that there's there's a lot that goes into running an operation, and what I always tell people to do is is it always starts with what's your your plan, your sales and operations planning and you need to be able to uh, put down on paper or into a google sheet what you think your business is going to do what's capable of and dictate everything off of that. Uh, there are a lot of companies that will have ambitions and they'll go to a VCs and they'll say hey, you know, this we're going to do 100 million dollars in 5 years. Cool. You know, before we do 100 million, let's do a million. And and what do you think you're realistically going to do in the next 6 to 8 months? And so some of the most common issues that people run into uh, is just not having a realistic view of what they think is going to have happen. They confuse what they want to have happen with what they think is going to happen. And the, the difficulties with that can manifest itself in uh, you know, running out of cash because you bought too much inventory, uh, overbuilding your team or overbuilding your capabilities, being in the wrong manufacturer or not having enough inventory or not being with the right partners. And so for me, it really comes down to learning how to be uh, very realistic and, and ambitious in what you want to have happen. Uh, and then making sure that your team understands all the different pieces that go into that. Uh, going from, you know, zero to a million dollars in revenue is hard, right? Yeah. Like it, it's, it's- I would
1: argue it might be the hardest. I, well, I guess I don't know. You, you've been in it more, but would you say it's the hardest
0: uh, threshold? Revenue isn't the hardest thing because, you know, you can do a million dollars of revenue if you have $10 million in VC money. You can can spin your way into that. But it's like an element of how do you build a repeatable process in an actual business? Because what I think a lot of founders do, and this kind of gets to the second point, is they focus so much on on a specific event versus a repeatable process. So a a good example would be the company that uh, is designing something for a year and a half. Maybe it's a consumer electronics or something else like that. And they bring it to market. Everything they've done has been focused on launching this thing. Uh, but then after they launch it, they have to produce it again. They have to, to manage all this sort of stuff. And so, so much of what you do in supply chain is about uh, being that tip of the spear, getting things set up the first time and understanding, okay, this is these are the guardrails between when I'm going to potentially need to rethink this operation. So the number of units, the, the number of orders, volume, scale, those sorts of things, and, and working within those parameters. Because what you want to do is you want to build something and then move on to the next thing. You need to... To basically systematize it and and put it in such a way that that it is easy, easily delegated and easy to track if there are things that are going wrong.
1: Yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, and some of that is, I feel like the planning dictates all of that stuff. And so many times you just jump in, yeah, we're going to do this, or we're, uh, you know, there's a goal without a, a look back, or even what I'm hearing is. When, when you're thinking about operations, it actually starts more than just your manufacturers or your 3PLs. It's like the sales, it's the marketing, it's all of it. And operations is so much more than just that actual supply chain side of your business that sometimes I think that's what people like pigeonhole it into being.
0: Absolutely. I mean, 30 years ago, supply chain was purchasing, right? Like it was, right. oh, just, just order the PLs and make sure we're there. But uh, now- Most companies are starting to see, especially through the pandemic, that supply chain can be a strategic weapon. Right? That that's what separates uh, all these flyby brands and the ones that really have staying power, especially in a difficult economy. Because the execution is the hard part. Right? The idea is is easy. It's you can copy that. You can do that pretty quickly. But being able to pull it off uh, in a repeatable manner in a cost effective way that still gives you the flexibility to grow uh, is is the great balancing act of you know, the next couple of years.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, or it can it can be what breaks your entire company. We've seen that as well. Um, so systems, of course, are, are processes, platforms, all of that, but also people. And people do a lot of the work when it comes to supply chain. Of course, there's so much technology and innovation, I think, coming in this part of business, but people are still a huge part of that. And so what... Um, As you can, you share a little bit about how your business or one of your businesses can help support entrepreneurs in not only building out the process, but also the people side of the supply chain team or function.
0: Yeah, if you can, I'll I'll just start kind of generic why outsource or how to go about building an organization that can kind of bring it back to what we do specifically. Um, You know, I always like to to when I when I'm working with a client or a prospective client, just ask them what sort of outcome do you want here do you want to build a business that pays you a million dollars a year and you work four hours a month, or do you want to be able to sell this thing for a hundred million dollars and you own 5% of it or something like that? What's, what's the outcome that you want because you build those, those businesses very differently. But at the end of the day, the, the core thing that, uh, that you're doing is, is roughly the same. And that is that you have to be able to build a recipe, right? You have to build a formula for how you're going to do something. And I was uh, talking with, um, With an entrepreneur uh, just last week and they asked a question of you know i know that i need some some help in the supply chain Uh, i need someone who can manage po's or book some freight or things like that and they said you know do i hire an intern do i hire a contract worker or uh, do i do i go to a temp agency Uh, and and, you know you got to be cost effective here and and figure out what you want and my advice to them was you know think about what they're good for right a a uh, intern is going to be very, very good uh, to put in extra effort, but they're not going to have the technical skills. So if you have a well-defined process and you have the attention uh, to give them to train and mentor this person, an intern can be a great fit. If you have a well-defined process and maybe not as much time or not as much interest in developing that person, then a a temp worker could be a great fit. Um, But if you don't know what you're doing, right? if you don't have that process that's laid out, then you need to go with a contract person. And uh, effectively, what, what they're going to be able to do is be relatively self-autonomous um, and, and self-regulating, but they should have that expertise from day one in order to do that thing. Um, you know. And so when it comes to, to what ISBA does, we work with, with venture-backed, fast-growing companies, and we, we augment or outsource their supply chain. And so we've got a couple different ways that we'll work with companies. We'll start first by uh, just doing coaching. And these are a couple hours a month where they're connected with uh, an expert, usually a former founder, someone who worked at a Fortune 500, people who have scaled uh, you know, businesses doing tens of millions not hundreds of millions of, of dollars in revenue. And uh, these are self-directed sessions where you're like, hey, teach me about this, right? Let's talk about that. Like, How do I do this? And our whole ethos is, is again, the execution is the hard part. And so we'll tell you everything that you need to do. And uh, if, if you can do it, awesome. Good for you. Like, we'll, we're going to cheer you on. Um, but sometimes it's like, wow, that sounds really hard. Can we, can, you know, what can we do there? Uh, so the next thing we have is, is kind of defined projects where maybe it's finding a fulfillment center or finding an ERP or negotiating a contract or things like that. Um, and those are very discrete projects that are kind of, you know, this is a very tangible thing that I need. Uh, and then with uh, with select clients, we'll work on more of an ongoing retainer basis where we are deeply embedded into, into their operation. Uh, in many cases, we um, are, are stabilizing and figuring out what you know what's going on. Like we are those hands that are doing it. And what makes us different from, from several other companies out there is that we will, um, we will be the first to tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, we've, we've fixed this process. This is now not going away and it's worth having a full-time body here, one of your employees to, to be here. And so that's where we work with someone like you or, or with our network to bring in a full time person that's that's a you know an employee of that brand, and in most cases we'll manage them, right? They will report to us, even though we're we're contractors. And then effectively, what we're able to do is is train that person up to uh, to eventually manage us. And and our whole point is we want to leave behind a very very strong internal supply chain team uh, by the time that we're done, and to be there for strategic uh, initiatives or training or things like that.
1: You hinted at something, but you didn't say it. But I think it's worth pulling out. A lot of, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs who are maybe hiring their first few people and often they want to hire an entry-level person or they think an assistant or an intern is like the right hire to make. And more and more conversations I'm having with entrepreneurs like you, it's like, that is great, but you need processes to manage these people. You need to have the, the process, the the accountability whether that's a platform or what have you built out so that you then can manage that person and i think entrepreneurs get so busy they're like they they can't even like keep track of their own calendar and they're like i just need an assistant i just need someone to do this so they hire somebody who's an assistant who's entry level and then they get pissed off when it hasn't solved their problem when they haven't actually solved the problem. And that is getting organized, setting up SOPs, setting up processes, all the stuff that they don't want to do. And, and what I'm loving is there's so many more people out there in the world who are doing contract work like we do, who can help entrepreneurs set these processes up. Um, And I think it's worth the money to hire somebody who is more experienced to set up the process. And then you can hire that, you know, maybe less experienced person to run it. Um, and it's just something I've been hearing so much in these interviews that I've been doing. And so I just wanted to, to share that because that's what I heard a little bit in, in what you said for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, there's two reasons why you would outsource something. The first one is you don't want to do it right. Mm-hmm. Mowing your lawn is an example, cleaning your house, maybe uh, cooking
1: your food, <laughs> cooking
0: your food, right? Yeah. We Uber eats all the time. We that's outsourcing. Um, And the other reason is you don't know how to do something. I think a lot of times people will go out and say, okay, well, I can afford a $10 person, a $10 an hour person. And really what I want is a genie. So is there a genie out there for $10 that I can throw out there? And hiring people is is a difficult thing. I think when you hire a a firm or a contractor, it's a little bit easier to fire, right? Because there's this implicit thing that, you know, this isn't going to be forever. in, In today's day and age, I think even with employees, there's, you know, there's this understanding that like, I'm going to leave, you're going to ask me to leave. You know, there's that element there, but um, it, it's just, it's more difficult to part ways with an employee than it would be with a contractor. And so uh, we've done this with our own business too, in areas where, where we aren't expert, right? Uh, we will pull in a marketing company or a finance company and say, all right, teach us, right? And, and, you know, we are very engaged, very involved, and we're trying to learn and we're trying to figure out what we can do from an internal process perspective. And I think that's the right way to outsource is that you outsource the work, you don't outsource the responsibility. And you're really trying to say okay like this this is inherently a temporary solution right if if this was going to be a permanent solution, we would hire a full time person right and that should be mm-hmm. the conversation and so if you're looking at this and say okay let's what are we actually building? what are we doing uh those are the most fruitful conversations, and I think the biggest bang for the buck for uh for the brands
1: yeah, absolutely so as you've grown in your own leadership, whether that's building a team on in your own businesses or leading teams with some of these brands. I would love to just explore like how your leadership mentality or any lessons you've learned about leadership along the way. Um, any parting wisdom or any wisdom you can give to, to folks listening to the show would be really, really interesting and helpful.
0: Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I've been pretty lucky to, to kind of be with all different shapes and sizes uh, I've, I've managed myself, um, which yes, you're you know even if you're an individual, individual contributor, that's still something you do. Uh, when I was in the factory, I was responsible for for ninety hourly workers, um, both on a day and a night shift. And so I've kind of seen the, the spectrum. Um, when it comes to mindset, I think it's important for people, as they're progressing through their career, to understand that the business or or people are going to ask different things from them at different times. And so what you've done in the past, isn't necessarily what's going to get you to where you want to go in the future. And so uh, there, there's a framework that I've, I've shared and I've, I've worked on uh, that really applies to supply chain specifically. But uh, I think there's a lot of um, benefits for for other folks. Um, but if you just think about where you start as an individual contributor, right? you're right out of college. It's your first gig. You are a doer. Okay, uh, you are, are basically compensated and evaluated for how well you do your specific work, right? And that could be working on a machine, it could be booking freight, it could be those sorts of things. And, you know, eventually the, the next step here is that you're going to be promoted to some sort of manager level and you're no longer a doer, you're responsible to be a delegator and you're evaluated and compensated based off of how well you help other people do their jobs, right? Um, and that's, that's a different skill set, Okay. Totally. Um And then from, from you know, going from there, you see people who make that that change from manager to director or, or, you know, director to VP. And it's less about being a delegator. It's more about being a collaborator. And the difference between those two is when you're a delegator, you know, you're responsible for people in your functional area and how well they do their job. When you're a collaborator, you're really responsible for how well you help other organizations do their jobs. And so, you know, as a supply chain person, I may be uh, responsible for uh, how, you know, how do I help enable the marketing team to do what they need to do? Or how do I enable the finance team to do what they need to do? Um, and th- those are the sorts of things when, for being a collaborator. And really that pinnacle for where people want to get to, to be that that C-suite level, or even that founder, is they have to move from collaborator to translator. And what I mean by that is that it's it's someone who is able to understand the ambitions of the business and first, translate that into what that means for their functional area. Communicate that to the rest of to the rest of the team that in ways that they understand, and then hear all of those feedback, all of that tradeoff, and then translate it back to the CEO in order to to make it uh, you know actionable. The the best people I've seen as executives in this space are able to take complex tradeoffs and nuances, boil it down into a simple, uh, but not oversimplified decision. That the C suite can say, and okay, I understand that we have to make this decision now because X, Y, and Z will happen in six months if we don't do it, and and like let's have a debate about you know can we can we fund this this capex right now or not? And so that's just the framework of, of how I've approached things and that's really helped me. Is you know if if I feel like I'm stuck, uh, you know, in these different gears, I got to just ask myself, what's the business asking of me, and how do I need to, to change? Does
1: that make sense? Yes. Oh my God, that's so good. And it's so in line with, um, a project I'm working on for a client right now, actually about, um, they, they wanted some help with setting up salary bands for all of the pay transparency stuff that's rolling out in a lot of the different States. It's like really getting salary bands, um, together, which I think actually starts with getting job leveling of your teams first, and then you can kind of work into it. And so it's actually been a big project. And And one of the job leveling is defining what it means to be, they're a smaller team, so they just have three levels, right? Um, like executing, um, strategic, and then like driving for results or something similar but different. And then what we did was we've defined what it means for every department To be in every role, like, what does it mean to be at the executor level? Like, what do you focus on? What does it mean to be at those different levels? And it creates such a wonderful or an easy conversation tool when you're developing your team, um, as well as yourself. You're like, okay, what does the team need of me? Right. And you're, when you're at that executive level, you're still sometimes working on that the execution, the first level, right. But you're, you're spending more time in that, that higher level. And I love the way you just des- des- described all of those levels is doing, delegating, um, collaborating, and then translating. That that's amazing. Um, so I love that. Um, and it's such a great framework to think about for your team too. Um, have you used those in development, like development plans for team members before?
0: I have. Um, and, and what I'll tell people is that these are gears that you have to develop right? Just if you're driving a car, uh, you know, you can get to where you want to go in the first gear, but it's going to take a long time. And it's not going to be good for your car. Um, but sometimes you've got to be able to shift up, shift down, and just recognize what is that situation that the business is currently facing you? The, the, you know, which gear do you need to be in? Uh, there are times as a COO that, you know, it's a crisis level and I need, to, I need to be the one to do the analysis, right? Because it's that important. It needs to be done. There are other cases where you know, I need to make sure that from the team's development perspective that I'm giving them the opportunity to stretch a little bit, to potentially fail, right? But but failing in a, in a controlled environment that it doesn't torpedo the business or our, our overall objectives.
1: Awesome. Um, I think listeners are going to really find a lot of value in that framework. So thank you so much for sharing. In terms of hiring. You do a lot of hiring for, for, for your clients and I'm sure you're a business. Do you have any like tips and tricks that you personally really love when you're interviewing and, and, and assessing candidates, anything that stands out that you found to be true to you? Selfishly, I'm also <laughs> wanting to learn from you. <laughs>
0: yeah. You know, I, I can't overestimate the importance of having a really good JD and understanding exactly what this person is going to do. And I think that's where you know folks like yourself can, can help out because a lot of times they say, okay, I need an operations person and they need to manage the operation. So we're going to call it an operations manager. But what specifically does that mean? What do, what do operations look like for you in particular? Are they dealing with fulfillment?
1: You mean you don't just go to Google and say operations manager and copy and paste? <laughs>
0: you, you could certainly <laughs> do that, but uh, don't be surprised if you're like, wow, I, I got somebody who's really good uh, dealing with trucks, I have one truck a year, <laughs> cool. You know, what I really need is yeah, someone who exactly. can do, uh, you know, refrigerated ocean containers, just things like that. So uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, like when, whenever we look at this and we say, okay, there's two ways to look at, it. there's, there's roles that we have to find that we're we're expanding the team and we need to backfill. And so those ones are, are very well defined uh, where it's like, okay, we, we, I know that I need someone to manage freight Here's the systems they're going to use. Here are the other people they're going to be like that I'm going to compare them against. Uh, and, and that makes sense. But when you're creating a new job, right, it could be new to your organization or maybe something that just doesn't exist before. What I find that's really important is to go through um, what I call ECRS, or I don't call that's what it's called, is ECRS. It stands for eliminate, combine, rearrange, or simplify. Uh, it comes out of uh, factory lean methodology. But the idea is that you you need to start with, okay, what is this person going to be doing? And you, you write out all the different tasks that either you or someone else is doing today or that you, you want someone to do today. And you, the first thing you do is you list them out. You say, okay, uh, these are things that I want to get off of my plate or that I want to start doing in my business. Cool, great. Um, you know, There's going to be some stuff in here that doesn't matter, so let's get rid of that. But then what you do is you start to look at all these tasks and you say, okay, these are painful enough that I'm considering spending money on, on somebody um, versus putting it into my business and you know growing faster that way. So you, you run through each ta- each task and the first thing you do is say, can I eliminate this task, right? Can I just get rid of it? Do I have to do it, right? Um, Cart blank, like, can I get rid of it? If the answer is no, then the question is, can I combine it with something else that I'm doing? So maybe there's, there's a report that someone's running or that you want someone to run uh, but you're like, hey, I actually have three reports that I'm asking. I can make these all one report, right? Or I can I can share what's going on. Uh, the next thing you look at is say, okay, if I can't get rid of it and I can't combine it with something I'm doing, can I rearrange it? Can I reassign it to someone else? And this is where you say, okay, is there someone else in the in the team who can do this piece, right? Can I can I get leverage with my existing team, or can I? Is this an opportunity where I want to go hire someone? right? You can, a lot of people will, you know, could manage QuickBooks themselves from a bookkeeping perspective. Most people decide it's not worth my time. I've got other stuff that I need to do. I'm going to outsource this to another piece. And then the last step is if you go through and you can't eliminate it, you can't combine it, you can't reassign it, then you look to simplify it as much as you can. And this is where you look at, okay, I'm going to find software to automate this one thing. I'm going to look at automations. I'm going to to do other things. So this is as easy as possible and takes as little time as possible. And so this is what I do to start is I go through and say all this. And if I have enough things where it's like, okay, there's enough stuff here that needs to be reassigned or simplified. I now know that I have something that uh, if I hire someone, I'm not going to regret having them six months from now. They're not going to be bored six months from now. And so uh, that's just how I do it is is I, I take that methodical approach and just try to say, okay, where can I get the most leverage for my efforts? And sometimes it's it's just, you know, I don't want to do this thing, so let me get rid of it. Uh, and and then from there you can craft the job description because you know exactly what they're going to do. You know exactly the type of technology that they're either going to have to know or have to learn. And then from there it's it's pretty easy. Um, you know, from an interviewing perspective, yeah. you interview them, you do a case study, and that works.
1: What a great exercise to have your leadership team, like the people on your team too, right? When they come to you and they're like, oh, I need to hire somebody and they can't clearly are, they just are like, oh, I'm too busy. I need help. Like what a great exercise to kind of put back on them too to, in a development opportunity, you know, working with them to do, but I think that would just create such a good learning moment for them, um, as well. If, if, if you're listening and you do have a bigger team, um, I love that approach. Um, and taking manufacturing concepts into hiring. It's great. Um, I love that. Um, I'm going to start doing that, especially the automate, actually even eliminate. I bet there's so many things we do every day that are just, we've always done it and we don't realize we don't need it anymore. Um, it's wild.
0: Yeah. When, when I was at Unilever, uh, one of the roles I had was always sending out reports and you know, we've all been there, right? Someone somewhere said that they wanted to see this report. It takes you two or three hours a week to do, and so you're doing it. It's annoying. You don't know if I'm seeing it. And uh, I remember I just, you know, I, I was a manager at this point. I said, we're just going to stop sending this report. And if, <laughs> if people email me and say, hey, where is this? Oh, shoot. We forgot our bad. Here we go. Uh, and if they don't ask about it, that's okay. And it was something like 80% of the reports we were sending out, nobody asked about. And it's like, okay, I, oh I've God. now figured out that like, oh. we can just get rid of these and we can focus on actual work.
1: That is so soul crushing. Like all the time that people spent. Oh God. Um, thankfully, you were brave enough to be like, "I'll I'll I'll die on the sword of this one." <laughs> well, as we're starting to kind of wrap up, can you share a little bit more about the different businesses or how people can learn more about what you do, how you could help them kind of build out their supply chain, or or how they could look to you for help? Sure.
0: Yeah. So uh, we we've got a number of resources. Uh, that we've put together. I mean, really what we're on a mission to do is just change how companies build and operate uh, themselves like from a startup perspective. And so uh, we have ISBA, which is end-to-end supply chain consulting. Uh, we are industry agnostic. Uh, end-to-end means everything from forecasting and factories to distribution, transportation, reverse logistics, uh, hiring strategy, those sorts of things. Um, and so you can learn more at uh, izba.co. And uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, as part of one of these ECRS uh, exercises that we're going through, we recognized that there was a huge gap in fulfillment. Um, And specifically, when you're shipping D2C, everybody cares a lot about what the SLAs are with the 3PL when you're signing the contract. But it's very difficult to actually measure those SLAs after you sign the contract Mm -hmm. or to know if your 3PL is doing what they were supposed to be doing or not. And so about 18 months ago, we, we uh, incubated and spun out a company called Capable. It's a SaaS product that connects to, your, connects to Shopify or your, or your WMS, uh, soaks up your fulfillment contract, and then uh, gives you scorecards and analytics to figure out if your 3PL is doing what they said they were going to do or not. And so that, that's a great way that's just amazing. to save time because it's an important piece. Yeah. You don't need to hire someone to do that uh, full time. And then uh, just a couple That's months amazing. ago, we, uh, we joined forces with a company called Sourceify, uh, which has over several thousand factories that they've vetted out uh, across the world, mainly in Asia. And what Sourceify does is they connect uh, brands and factories together. And so, um, yeah, there's three different ways, three different business models that we can help out. Uh, but one resource I think would be most helpful for, for all of your listeners here is uh, what we're calling the ISBA Exchange, the izbaexchange.com. And what we've done, uh, because again, we think that that knowledge should be universal, uh, and execution is the hard part, is uh, we've we've opened up our database. We have about 1,600 fulfillment locations uh, that we've put online for free, fully searchable, uh, and you can go through and look at different parameters to figure out. Okay, I need someone who's FDA registered, cold storage in Wyoming. Great, here's a list of, of 30 you could talk to, and uh, and so we have That's all those amazing. available for you to look at. And if you're interested in uh, in getting a, a more reduced list at, at you know, no cost. We're, we're able to match people up uh, based on the survey that they take.
1: Amazing. Oh, that's just so near and dear to my, a former life of mine. I was at a supply chain tech company, as you know, Lumi, and we are trying to do a lot of similar work. And so seeing that actually coming to life in different places, whether it's Lumi or not, just so wonderful to see. So, um, thank you for, for creating that. Um, I do have one parting question that I did not prepare you for. So I'm excited for your answer. Um, You know, this podcast is all about like, oh, shit, I have to do that. Or I'm the boss now. Like um, we all have those moments. So I would love to hear about a memorable moment where you had the thought of, oh, shit, I have to do that. Or I'm the boss now. Can you think of one?
0: I think there's been moments where you're like, I know I have to do this. But I don't know where to go or where to start, right? So, um, I think of, of, there's a couple that come to mind. The, the one that I'll share would be uh, when when we're when we're building a company, you've got to manage, you know, kind of the infrastructure where you're trying to go. Uh, you have to kind of think about sales and clients and the actual work of the business. Uh, but then when it comes to culture and people development and. And trying to figure out, okay, how do you how do we set up a compensation structure? How do we figure out how we're going to share equity? Those sorts of things. Those are all really difficult conversations that uh, that there's really no playbook for, right? Like, I I, by nature I'm one that's I want to be more egalitarian. I want to kind of share these things through there, Um, but it's it's one of those things where uh, there's like three or four moments I can think of where you're just thinking through here, like. Okay, well, shoot, this was a difficult conversation. And I understand that this is a big decision, and it's just me to make. And you know, mm-hmm. depending on which way we go is going to dictate a, a dramatic uh, course of where we go. So there are certainly moments there where uh, I think that leadership can feel lonely and and you're trying to figure out, okay, like what where do I want to work? right? Like what kind of place do I want to work at? and what types of people do I want to work with? And then you try to just uh, do your best and, and you never quite get it right. But the good thing about it is that most uh, most mistakes can be undone.
1: Yeah, I would agree. And I always say like most managers want to be good managers. Most leaders want to be good leaders. Although if you log on to LinkedIn any day, you'll, you'll see that nobody believes that to be true. But everyone I know who's a, an entrepreneur, or a leader, like wants to do a good job. Um, and it is hard and it's, I feel like I often say, I don't know if you ever worked in a restaurant, but I was a server for a long time. I feel like everyone should have to be a server or work in some sort of service industry in order to go eat at a restaurant. I feel like anyone who's an employee should try to be an entrepreneur or a boss once before (laughs) they complain about their bosses. But that's a whole nother topic. But thank you for sharing that Um, because it is is lonely and scary sometimes and just hard um, for sure. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for taking your time and and being on the show. So excited for listeners to take some of this really practical, easy to implement advice from you. Um, and I look forward to hopefully many more conversations as, as we continue to get to know each other too. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Of course. Thanks for having me. Of course. All right, listeners, thanks for tuning in and we'll chat with you very soon. You're not driving, stop and take a moment to share this episode with someone who you thought about while listening. Share it with your team to show them you're committed to their growth. Share it with a fellow business owner in your network who you know will be moved by the message. Heck, share it with your mother, your brother, your sister, or your cousin. Your support in growing the show means the world to me.